Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Nat Bremer. He's a horror journalist and author who has written for Bloody Disgusting, Dread Central, Wicked Horror, and Diabolic diabolic magazine among others his short stories can be found in places such as sanitarium magazine and blood bond his latest book puppet master complete a franchise history comes out on october 4th and is available to pre-order right now welcome to the show thanks for having me uh it's awesome to finally do this yeah i I I remember like gosh i think it was a year or two ago when Mm -hmm. i was first we were first talking about this and you're like i want to come on and talk about that and i was thinking well we'll we'll get to that in a minute but i was thinking you know 30th (laughs) anniversary coming up this will be perfect timing and Mm -hmm. here we go but uh before we do get into that let's take it back to the beginning how did you get introduced to horror um it really goes like all the way back like I was a monster kid from the first, like I was watching Scooby-Doo and everything. Yeah. I remember getting, there was a an early 90s toy called Monster Face. Monster Face. That, that was like so a familiar. big rotting skull that would ooze and you could put like different noses and stuff on it. And I yes. got that for Christmas when I was about four or five. It terrified me. And I don't think my parents like realized how much it terrified me because we were in, in Maine and my house was like right set against the Maine woods. And when it gets dark in Maine, it gets like pitch black. And this thing was set up in my room, this oh, rotting wow. skeleton head, this ghoulish mummified <laughs> thing up in the window. And I remember, and I was probably five, this memory, but... There was a thunderstorm, and I was already scared and, like, kind of under my covers, and I looked up, lightning, like, 
streaked across the sky. So this thing was just illuminated in front of the window. <laughs> and it's this haunting, haunting memory. But that was pretty early for me. And then I think I started to kind of get into the Universal Monsters. And then it was really like first, second grade where I had uh, one of my best childhood friends. I met him on his first day of school when he was a new kid. And I was all about the Universal Monsters because like they were, it was a time when they were kind of weirdly kids because mm -hmm. there was a universal monsters coloring book at the time yeah and they were burger king happy meal toys at the time so i was totally all about them and talking about them to everyone and he just looks at me and he says what about freddie and jason i was like <laughs> who and that was kind of the moment that opened it all the way up for me wow i okay i have to go back to this monster face because i am jealous that you had one. Oh, i was gonna say good <laughs> Because my parents wouldn't let me get one because there was slime involved. Like, I'm looking at the picture now, and it just brought back all these memories of me wanting this box. My parents like, no, that's just going to make a mess in the house. I had all the slimy stuff. I had that. I had the, like, the one that was like Creepy Crawler. It was like Dr. Demento's Laboratory or something. It was the one that was like Creepy Crawlers, but you could eat it. Yeah. And I had that, too. But, like, Monster Face was the one that really, like, got me, got me. I mean, They're it's terrifying. amazing. It's a terrifying yes. mask. Good lord. Yeah. And it like oozes out of the, the pores and the stuff, pores, right? Yeah. That is so bizarre. But do you remember your do you remember your first horror movie, Nat? The first one you ever saw? Mm -hmm. Um, it was after that like friend the the one that I always think of as like the first horror movie horror movie I saw was uh that same friend who had kind of introduced me to the backstories of these characters for like weeks and like got everything wrong in retrospect. <laughs> but he had been building up Jason in my head mm. for weeks, and I was absolutely over the moon with like the mythology I was imagining in my head. So the first sleepover I ever had, we somehow convinced my mom to let us rent the original Friday the 13th. Oh, wow. And I was probably seven, but like, so it was like the first like overt gore I was seeing, but that didn't really mean as much to me by in terms of like the overall experience as much mm -hmm. as when we got to the end and then absolutely nothing that i had been told about this uh <laughs> came to pass because there was no jason right. absolutely nothing i expected had happened i was so mad at my friend and i was so it jaded on the franchise at seven that like when i got the opportunity <laughs> to see another one i jumped all the way to jason goes to hell because his name was in the title <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 funny you know I, I i do think that a lot of kids might have that experience though where um especially if they haven't you know if there's like a multiple of the friday the 13th out mm -hmm. because i remember watching the first one i talked about this when we were talking about that original movie uh, in, in our in one of our recordings, but I expected there to be Jason in the first movie. And I was so confused that there's the, that like at the very end it's revealed not to be Jason, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I can, I can understand that reaction. If it wasn't for scream coming out around the same time and me renting that, I might not have even like continued because as soon as Scream said Jason showed up in Friday the Thirteenth, you know, in the sequel, mm -hmm. I like I took that as confirmation, and I was like, okay, it's okay to continue. I wasn't lied to about this entire thing. It's not an elaborate <laughs> con. <laughs> That's wild.
Okay, so aside from uh, the movie that we're talking today, what what were you scared as a kid? And if you were, what other kind of movies do you remember scaring you? I, in terms of like writing horror, I feel lucky about this, but I was really scared by mm-hmm. a lot of things, and I still get pretty easily scared by oh, yeah. some movies. A really well constructed scare sequence, and sometimes not even that well constructed of a scare sequence can still <laughs> get me pretty good. It was movies like this. It was like the randomest crap would traumatize me when yeah. I was uh young. And even when I started watching like actual like monster movies or even like right before, but like there was an episode of Eureka's Castle where the big I don't know, the big fluffy dragon thing has a nightmare about like the boogeyman and their weird knockoff Jim Henson interpretation of the boogeyman was just like unacceptable to me. I, <laughs> it really bothered me. Um, and in terms of movies, like when I really started to see some, I think two of the like adult horror movies that scared me the most when I was a kid were Salem's Lot and uh, Creepshow, mm. the Crate story in particular, because oh yeah, mm, okay. My my parents were kind of like a uh, they censored some things but not others. My mom had this weird Same. rule where like she felt that like yesterday's R was today's PG thirteen, so I could watch anything that was made in the eighties or before. Which was categorically okay. untrue because, oh, like, yeah. the MPAA had crushed down so hard, like by the '90s. So the stuff, mm-hmm. the stuff I was, we were getting at the time that I wasn't allowed to see, like Scream, and I know what you did last summer, were so much tamer than like the slasher movies that came before them. Mm-hmm. But there was another weird blind spot that my parents had, and a lot of parents had, where because. We were in Maine. If it was Stephen King, it was fine. Oh, <laughs> oh interesting. Really? Yeah. So that's why I was seeing like Salem's Lot and Creep Show <laughs> in like second grade. And uh, absolutely terrified. I think one of the first movies to really, really terrify me was Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Like so much of the imagery. Because Creep Show was just the crate. But like everything mm-hmm. else was more or less fine. I wasn't scared of like Stephen King turning into a plant. It was really just <laughs> right. the monkey thing in the crate yeah. that bothered me. But uh yeah, Salem's Lot and, and that they they were two of the first to really like really get me. So I'm always fascinated when people have, you know, grew up in, in Maine or lived in Maine. Did you ever see Stephen King? Yes. Literally uh, like people don't understand like how much of a possibility that is and what it really is like in Maine. Like I went to uh high school uh with his nephew. We were in the same friend circle. Uh the last oh. time I had a friend a few years ago who lived in Bangor and had never gone to see the house. And I was like, What are you like you've lived here for like over a year at this point. You've never That'd be gone my first stop. Yeah. You've never gone to like <laughs> see the Stephen King house. Like everybody, you know, goes to drive by it at least once. So I was like, let's go right now. And so we got into the car and we just drove and literally as we were driving by the house, he and Tabitha were outside walking the Corgi. The oh Corgi. Corgi. That's amazing. Wow. The thing of evil. Mm-hmm. Huh. Wait, wow. so like so do you still live in Maine, Nat? No. Um, so, okay, so what's the, what draws you to the horror genre now as an adult? Kind of 
a lot of the same talking points that, you know, we all kind of gravitate to, like being in this and writing about this. We've all, you know, probably read a lot of, of the same books because it was about when I was in the high school that I started to realize that there was actual like meaning, mm, mm-hmm. which was yeah. hugely important to me because like at that time, this was only like the thing I was supposed to have grown out of and hadn't yet. Mm. So it was so mm. like validating when I found those first things that were like, hey, here's what like Night of the Living Dead is really about and everything. And it kind of like really opened up the floodgates for me in terms of like taking it seriously. I think a thing that helped me as a, as a teen, like really, really get into it in the kind of way that I've evolved and really gotten into it since is, um sounds silly, but Bravo's hundred scariest movie moments. Okay, oh, really? that whole special. Like I was like fifteen, and I saw like so many movies. Like I literally the second time that it played or that I caught it on TV, I like went back with a pen and paper to write oh, down the titles of the things oh, I hadn't seen. Oh, cool! And so that was when I jumped up from like I'd been you know raised on like the the Freddy and Jason and Chucky era, which I still loved, but then that was kind of the moment that started gearing me towards movies like Audition. Okay. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so I know that you said that you you still do get scared as an adult. Do you remember the last movie that really, really terrified you? I know there's been others since, but it's mm-hmm. maybe in my head because I rewatched it a couple months ago, but uh, Sinister was okay. the last one that like really got me in terms of like some of the sequences, but also just kind of underlying like hopelessness mm. of it. Yes. Yeah. Because like one, it's viscerally scary, but also nobody's going to be okay. So there's like really <laughs> no end to like peeling back like this horrible, rotten onion that it is mm. in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And let's talk about some of those images. Yeah, because I watched it recently. Cause I, I, you know, I, it, there was something a while ago that was like Sinister is one of the scariest movies ever made. And I was like, is it? And I watched it again. And I don't, I don't know if it's the scariest movie ever made, but it, I forgot how fucked up a lot of those kind of like found footage eight millimeter sequences are mm-hmm. and how just absolutely gruesome it is, especially mm-hmm. for a movie that I know was like a pretty big kind of like blockbustery release when it came out. Like it was really, really uh, graphic, mm-hmm. especially yeah. if it killed kids. And like that always yeah. is very like taboo, taboo, um, yep. especially like main, more mainstream audiences. Yeah. Um, okay, so how did you get introduced to writing fiction? Because um, you're kind of, you both write fiction and also you write about movies. So how did you kind of get into both of those hemispheres of, of writing? That one, like, literally goes back as far as I can remember. Like, I was writing, like, weird, awful ghost stories and stuff, like, in first grade, when I was supposed to be, like, doing grammar or something. Like, that one is really, like, as far back as I can remember. And then um, it was about in high school that I had a really great English teacher who was like, you know, Mm. like, you're gonna, you're gonna do this. Like, like, she didn't want to say, like, you know, actually, she kind of did say that we don't have a lot of, you know, writers come through here that are like not only a lot of people probably have the grasp like to do it but know like what they want to do Mm. with it okay she could see the like the ideas 
were there and like they mm-hmm. needed to be refined and everything but that was kind of the first thing that set me on the path of like i think i can do this for myself and then it was like freshman sophomore year of college that i wrote a short story and the um professor in the the fiction class was like you should submit this uh somewhere which i had never even like considered before right. but i was like mm-hmm. okay and i i did and that got accepted into this little like zine and everything but that was like huge that's huge amazing to me that's so cool isn't, like, give it up for like, english teachers dif- I was just I was just going to say the same thing like give it up for teachers who really like mm-hmm. care and nurture their students and are like you can do this like that makes the biggest difference. I feel like it so many of huge. us who are writers like have a cool English teacher mm-hmm. who were who was like you are actually really talented. You should do it and you're like oh maybe I should. Yeah. Yeah, it made a huge difference. Yeah. And so in writing so you're writing a you've written a book. Is this your first book? I did a lot of like self-publishing in college and stuff and like putting out yeah. some stuff on my own. And the the Puppet Master book is the first like book I've got like from was a big publisher behind it. That's a whole or at least that I'm not just a contributor to. Mm-hmm. Like my cool. first book on my own through a big publisher. So it's really really been an interesting experience that's so exciting so why okay so obviously you love puppet master but what is your relationship to the franchise like and why did you want to write about it it was literally like my biggest childhood obsession it really just got its hooks in like deep in me and it started when i was in third grade I got like it didn't even start by like me like begging my parents to let me pick up a Fangori or anything. It was pretty harmless. I got a toy magazine. Mm. It was like an X Men on the cover because mm-hmm. you know I wanted some some Mister Sinister, and I opened it up, <laughs> and there Makes was sense. this big two page spread on the Puppet Master action figure series, and it was just seeing oh. the designs of the characters and the yeah. puppets. I was like hooked. And there was like something in the corners that was like based on like the movies and whatever. I was like, I have to see these movies. I have to see what this is. I have to know everything about this right now. And then <laughs> like I begged my dad to uh, let me rent uh, the first movie. And I was, it was immediate, like just love at first sight for a young fan. Like I was all about it. And the video store was like huge for me. I'd go down like every weekend and I got to a point where I kind of like stopped renting things because they had the first three puppet masters and I was pretty much just rent those <laughs> over and over. I love that. Uh, so this has to be what there's like four. Is there 14 of them? There are 14 and two of them came out since I started writing the book. Oh my gosh. Oh God. <laughs> That was when, like, they kind of announced another one. I was like, okay, the book has to just come out. Because <laughs> if I keep adding chapters for future movies, like... It'll be 20 years down the line. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Band is going to make puppet master movies until the sun burns out of the sky. So I have to just stop it and say, okay, this is the book. Here it is. It covers these 14 films that are currently out. Uh, but that was kind of a... a the biggest thing of why it took like so long to write because every time you turn around there's a new one it seems like yeah <laughs> the reboot hadn't come out yet and the first time i wrote that chapter it was on a movie that like i thought the book was gonna like coincide with so i wasn't really talking about it and then i had to like draft that again like after it came out and everything and so it's been a 
weird kind of interesting thing evolving like with the franchise so okay okay so i'm i'm a newbie to uh the puppet master series i have seen the one that came out what 2018 maybe the with barbara crampton was in it yeah yeah and that is wild because that's the one probably most people have seen because it was like a bigger release like it was theatrical for one night only which is more than any mm. other puppet master movie it ever had I was say, these are all directed to <laughs> these are all direct to video right yeah totally and uh that movie is the total antithesis of what <laughs> literally all of the other movies are to the point where the franchise as a whole is about the um it's like part of one of the things that i find interesting about it. it's kind of the only inherently Jewish horror franchise, at least, mm. in that it is about the souls of Nazi victims who have been placed kind of into these uh, bodies to kind of oh. keep going and get their revenge. And the that kind of is the the lore established in the, in the third movie, okay. which is kind of the favorite. The reboot is about puppets that are Nazis. Mm-hmm. Oh. And exclusively okay. commit hate crimes. And I know it's done in a mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek kind of way, but it's still like a night and day really difference. really uncomfortable. Yeah. That movie made me really uncomfortable, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, and that's – it's <laughs> to be really honest, it's like a tough chapter for me because I've been writing this book so long that like I wrote that chapter – the like final chapter on the reboot right after it had come out. So I was like, oh, this wasn't for me, but like I get what they were doing. And as time has gone on and on, like since <laughs> since that chapter has been locked, and it's already it's kind of like basically say that, but I've gone to like it less and less. I was like, yeah, this isn't for me, and like I gave them the benefit of the doubt because you know I know it was kind of a more dark humorous approach, and it's just kind of going for a trauma thing, so it's not like you know. Then this has got a great cast. I was like, mm. but the company that made it is all in bed with Ben Shapiro now. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a movie that like I, I didn't like when it came out. And then the more and more, it, like as the years go on, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> wow, I forgot about that production company. Yeah. Wow. And yep. so like the the franchise, like overall, like, yeah, that that lore might not have come into play overtly until like the third movie, but the literal first scene of the first film is the old puppet master shooting himself so the Nazis don't get their hands on him and his puppets. Oh, wow. So it's still like completely the opposite of what this thing was even to begin with. Because even when the puppets... Part of what I I love about it is it's the only franchise where the characters, like your icons of the franchise, can be good or bad, depending on the the entry. (laughs) So like there are movies where they kill people, and there are movies where they flat out don't. They fight puppet-sized demons, and they play laser tag, and they have a great time. It is such a beautifully weird franchise, and uh, that's the thing that kind of always stuck out to me. It's like, even in the movies where they are the villains, they're not the villains like by the end, because in the movies where there's like a larger person like pulling the strings, the puppets still eventually turn coat on them. And so like 
there's no Friday the Thirteenth thing where it's like, oh, the puppets were discarded. Like, how are they gonna? How are they gonna come back in the next one? It's either like they're the heroes or the antiheroes, depending <laughs> on. So unless it was the exception of like the character of Leech Woman who was killed off because they just thought she was too gross. They're not like discarded from movie to movie. So for for newbies like like me, um, Mary Beth, have you ever watched any of them? I have not. Where is a good place to start from the beginning, or is there like a place that you recommend people start from? I always kind of recommend the third because okay. the third is a prequel anyway. So it's set in World War II. It's set before everything. So kind of even the movies that were made before it all kind of have the context of of that movie as the starting point for for everything. Um, and that movie just feels so much more expensive than it okay. is because Dave Dave Dakota directed that, and he got oh um, okay. Dave Dakota directed four of these damn movies. Wow! Uh, uh, but he got the universal backlot for that film so like the exteriors are shot at universal and it feels and it's like world war ii and it feels so much bigger than these tiny tiny straight to video movies that it is and it's got like this cast of great european actors and everything all these great character actors in it and it feels like you know as much as i love various ones for various reasons it really not even in the franchise, but of Full Moon in general, kind of comes out of nowhere. It's like this is a legitimately like good movie. Wow. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, before we move on, uh, your your book, what what's what is in it? Is it just um, going through each each movie, or how how is it laid out? The thing to me, and I was really kind of adamant about this, even from like the very first like book proposal, is to me. The franchise and like the merchandise are, are intertwined because mm. Charlie Band, you know, he's a, a showman. He's really out there peddling his wares mm-hmm. all the time. And so, like, from the get go, these movies have had tie ins that kind of feed directly into one another to the point that, like, the action figures came out and then they had to make a movie to kind of promote the action figures because they had made a movie in a few years. <laughs> gotcha. And then they made another toy line and they were like, oh, well, then we're just going to make a movie. Like, it got to a point where they were making a movie based on the toys uh, instead of vice versa. Wow. And then, you know, in the past, like, decade or so, they've done, like, replicas and they'll, you know, put a version of you know, the puppet in the movie to look like the replica they're making. And so the book covers, in total, all 14, now, films, two comic series, and an action figure series. And those are the chapters. Wow. Cool. Ooh, I'm excited to read it and learn more about this franchise. Yeah, it was definitely written with the notion in mind that a lot of people haven't seen it even in the horror genre, have missed the whole thing. And so, you know, it's also like, okay, well, in in general, like, here's how this thing that was designed to cater to the then-booming market of video stores wound up surviving video stores. That's the thing that I think is interesting, whether you've seen it or, or not. And, you know, a lot of people have seen it 
don't understand why someone would write a book about it. And that was the more therapeutic <laughs> aspect to me, was going through the book being like, but why am I doing this? Well, you know, I was, I was thinking, because none of them have been released really to theaters, mm-hmm. and yet I've never seen them, and mm-hmm. yet I was familiar with them. The, 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 the creatures, the puppets, they are all iconic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, you look at them and like, oh, that's a puppet master. Those are, I don't know their names, but those are all characters that I associate with puppet master. So the fact that this movie that has never had a theatrical release that a lot of people like me have never seen still has like, it takes up a place in our collective um, horror knowledge is, is kind of wild. There are toys on the shelves at Target now. Oh, are there really? Yeah. Like Walmart and Target has NECA, the the toy companies, they did puppet master figures this year. So there are now, Puppet Master toys on the shelves at like the biggest possible retailers, and this is a straight to video thing. That's wild. That's wild to oh. me. Yeah. Um, Nat, what what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? I brought in uh, a movie called Ernest Scared Stupid. Hell yeah! Which I, you know, as a listener, was like, I can't believe nobody's covered Ernest Scared Stupid yet, and eventually. I got to a point that made me feel really confident to come on and do this, where I was like, maybe people weren't as terrified as of Ernest Scared Stupid as I was. <laughs> so, okay. For those of you who are not familiar with Ernest Scared Stupid, um, Ernest P. Worrell, who is a, like a, is a franchise, which we'll talk about, um, yes. accidentally unleashes an ugly troll that plots to transform children into wooden dolls in the town of Briarville, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we jump in, Nat, to why you, you chose this movie specifically, um, can, can we give everyone, including myself, <laughs> some context on Ernest and who he is because I I've heard of Ernest Scared Stupid. I've heard of like the Ernest goes to jail. Like those, I've heard of them, but I have absolutely no familiarity with like the character, the franchise, the antics. So can, can we get, can you guys give me a lowdown on it? <laughs> sure. Ernest is like a redneck, Mr. Magoo. Like he just <laughs> keeps finding his way into terrible situations. And like, um, he started out, I, I believe, as a commercial. He did. He was a fictional character created by a um, a Nashville advertising agency to use in, in in local ad campaigns, and then got so like popular that he got national ads for like Coca Cola from Mellow Yellow, which is the ad that I remember. Hey, Vern. It sure is hot up here, Vern. I bet you'd like a cold, smooth Mellow Yellow right now, wouldn't you? Yeah, I just bet you would. You know, Vern, there's nothing like a good old cold mellow yellow when you're all hot and sweaty. I think it sure beats that Mountain Dew. You know what that sound means in Russia, Vern? Empty. Vern, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Um, checks, Taco John's, like a bunch of these like advertising firms across the, the, the country. And it would always be him walking up to the door of Vern, his neighbor who you never see, never mm-hmm. hear. And he's always like, you know, trying to hawk something. He's like, Oh, you know, and has that kind of down to earth sort of like charm that, that his character has. And he's like, you know what I mean, Vern? Like that has became kind of his, his like catchphrase from what I remember correctly. Is that, is that how you remember it, Nat? Yes, it is. My dad was a fan of like really stupid 
comedy. So it was my dad <laughs> that kind of got me into earnest movies in general. But I was already like a monster kid and a Halloween kid. So it was this earnest movie, even though I'd seen Ernest Goes to Camp and Ernest Saves Christmas and Ernest Goes to Jail. Where he gets electrocuted in yes. an electric chair, gets magnetized, flies. Yeah, I, yeah I, we're, I, we're really going to get into the indestructibility of Ernest. Absolutely, because yes, yeah, I'd seen all these movies, but this one, he's and like I think he has a different job in every movie, so he's the typical he like sanit- sanitation worker. But it was this movie that I wanted to see the most, and I don't think I need to clarify that no other Ernest movie terrified me like this one did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, so they were released, the first five were released theatrically. We had Goes to Camp, Saves Christmas, Goes to Jail, Scared Stupid, and then Ernest Rides Again. And then Ernest Rides Again failed spectacularly, I guess, at the box office. And so then they made four more that were released direct to, to video. Mm-hmm. And like you said, in every movie, he plays a kind of a different job, but he's always a working class bachelor. And yep. he's working at places like a gas station or a janitor, a sanitation worker, a construction worker. Like these are the, the, the jobs that he always has. And he, and the, the actor, Jim, Jim Varney w- had a lot of characters that he would portray, mm-hmm. um, sort of like how Eddie Murphy does it with like, you know, uh, the clumps and clumps. Was it the clumps? Yep. <laughs> and all of those, like where they would, he would play different roles. Like that's kind of been his shtick from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense, Mary Beth? <laughs> yes, it does. Wild, I got that right? vibe. Yeah. Wow. He won a daytime Emmy too. Mm-hmm. For his no sketch show, shit. yeah, he had like a a TV series on, on Saturday morning, Saturday morning sketch show. Hey, hey, Vern, it's Ernest, I believe is what it was called, and he won a daytime Emmy for it. Mm-hmm. Wait, so this guy was fucking huge. Yeah, he was big. He was ubiquitous in like the eighties. Like that was, I you would what? always. I remember seeing commercials even up in Alaska. I remember seeing commercials for a bunch of the products that he was hawking, mm-hmm. and then the movies. Ooh. I saw them all. I remember seeing. I think I saw them all in theaters. So okay, hold on. So he started as an ad, like an advertising character. Yep. Yeah, he was created he, by an advertising firm. And then he firm. became. That's wild to me. Isn't that always yeah. something that happens? I feel like <laughs> that always happens super often. But when like a marketing no. figure becomes its own franchise of movies, <laughs> I do think that that might have yes. happened a bit, a bit more like in in that time frame. Because I'm thinking about like how the Noid from Dominoes got his own video game. <laughs> Wait, he's um, from Dominoes. <laughs> Yeah. Look how much I know. I'm just like, isn't, I'm right. Isn't it? Isn't it Domino's? Isn't the Noid? I think. I think the Noid is from Domino's. I have no idea. Yeah, it was an advertising create, create character created for Domino's Pizza. Wow. <laughs> so I, I do think that that was like more of a wow. thing in like the '80s. You would see that, but I always like consider him sort of. Um, I like that that you Nat called him sort of like the uh, a redneck or the um, you know working class uh, Mr. Magoo. I always considered him in the same line as like uh, Pee Wee um, in terms oh. of like. Okay. That kind of man-child, kind of like otherworldly, above, like above and beyond, like humanity kind of character is how I always saw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like very slapstick, yes. and because we'll talk about them more, I think. But like, I he, I knew this was like a little bit more geared towards kids, but wow, really, really, really leans into like the slapstick, the crazy facial expressions, like very mm-hmm. much man-child, very much. I I got more Pee-wee for sure. That's what I was thinking of when I was watching this was Pee-wee. And why did we have so many of those man children as our <laughs> as like our like cultural touch points during that time? Why? 
Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> as a concept, it's like incredibly bad, like baffling. Not not baffling, but it's just I think the concept of ha- of having so many man children as like <laughs> these figures makes me like why why though I don't understand it. Yeah, I got nothing. It's it was, it was a wild time. <laughs> well, and you think about it too. Weird. That it's also weird because this is all happening in the eighties when the height of like fear of, of kids being kidnapped, of boys being kidnapped and and, and murdered. <laughs> yes, and cre- Ernest does more than once in this film. With, and you have that, right? and so then you are you're you're te- you're teaching these kids that hanging out with this adult man who is in, in all of these movies. Because I remember him. I think pretty sure he hung out with kids in all the movies because mm-hmm. they were centered for kids, and we're we're kind of doing that with this character at the same time that we're like stranger danger be afraid because you're gonna get kidnapped and murdered it's wild they're just like the kids like in the in the movie in this movie particularly like this sheriff's kid and another girl just chilling in his trash truck as one does mary as one does like you just chill out with the local sanitation worker like did you okay i have a question I'm, we need to get to the movie. I'm sorry. Never mind. We can get right to the movie. I just have so many questions and thoughts. But anyway, about Ernest <laughs> P. Worrell. <laughs> okay, so Nat, so we've, we've kind of set the scene. How did you see this movie? Why did you see this movie? I want to hear. I want to hear everything. Give us your horror story about Ernest Scared Stupid and why it scars <sighs> you for life. It's weird. Like my memories of first seeing it are hazy. I think I rented it. Okay. And I think it was around Halloween time because. My dad would rent all of the Ernest movies, so it was just another Ernest movie. And I think I had seen at least some, like, inkling, because I was really young, some inkling of adult horror before this. And I would see this movie, you know, again, even after I had seen actual R-rated horror movies, and this would still terrify me more. Really? Like, from the get-go. Uh, and like really, really badly too. Not in the way I was like scared of other things. Like it would, it would linger. And I think I was just totally disarmed because initially it's just an earnest movie and it's as stupid <laughs> and ridiculous and low rent and cheap as like any earnest movie until there are these scares that are crafted like for adults, like they are, I don't care what anybody says, they are built to traumatize. In particular, the scene where the girl who already knows there's a troll mm-hmm. is begging her mother to check under the bed, and she doesn't. So she goes down herself, and there's nothing. And then she rolls back onto the bed, and there's the troll. Or yep. troll, like, the kid falls down in the gully, and the troll uses Ernest's voice to be like, I got you, buddy. Oh, yes. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> you know i i kind of thought that those were the scenes because like watching it now i'm i'm i was amazed at how they are crafted as if they are like in an adult horror movie like it's 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 a little cutesy now for me as an adult watching it and turn around there's that you know the troll but like the way that it's crafted it reminds me of like taking things from from it from pennywise kind of like calling mm-hmm. the kids out from under the sewer where he's like He's using Elizabeth's voice and is like trying to get coax Kenny into the pipe and all of these types of, and then taunting him later. It's like, I'm catching up to you, to Kenny. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it definitely has that kind of adult esque craft to it. And this is like a natural progression because the thing that basically 
first inspired it was Stephen King walking over a sewer grate and thinking of the three Billy Goats Gruff, which, mm. by the way, Trolls. this is this. That's it. Like this scared me so badly that I became afraid of trolls in general. I oh, wow. could not because of this movie. I could not listen or like have anybody read to me the three Billy Goats Gruff because I was imagining this troll. Oh. Uh, oh. I went to Disney World and there was a ride at Epcot called Maelstrom, which is like going on a boat ride through Norway. And there was a three-headed troll. And in my mind, that was three Trantor heads. Oh, they were absolutely no. going to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So this really actually affected you after watching the movie then, it too. It really, really did in an abnormal way. And like I knew like other people were like afraid of it. But, like, it really hit me over time that, like, I was more scared of that than other people, especially when I met, like, the Kyoto Brothers a few years ago. And I was like, that movie was, like, the most traumatic thing of my childhood. And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, wasn't expecting that. That's amazing that you met them, by the way. Yeah, it was... Yeah, I was at like a, a convention and uh, I got to talk with them for a bit. I got fairly kind of lightly roasted for how scared <laughs> of the movie I had been. I mean, because okay. they've done like, you know, Critters and, and Killer Clowns and it was this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I will say, they really knocked it out of the park with some nasty boys. Yes. Like, snot covered. Nasty boys. Mm-hmm. They really killed it. This is a very snotty movie, although I will say that it's not as goopy as I remembered it. I Because I, in my mind, I saw this movie in, in movie theaters. Uh, I remember seeing it in the theater. Um, I remember in particular, and I, I thought, I didn't know if this was like a mismemory or whatever, but I did go look and there is, and I did find it, the uh, an ad for it. There was a trailer, and I remember seeing this trailer before um, I ended up seeing the movie. And it was like a girl running through a forest and it was like, it had that narrator voice, you know, the, but first there was Jason, <laughs> then there was Freddy now. And then it was Ernest scared stupid. It was, it was a close up on Ernest's face going, you know, that kind of face he does when he's first introduced in this. And I remember seeing that, I remember seeing that ad and being like, oh my gosh. This, this is going to be in the same league as Jason and Freddy. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I remember because that that was what was my in my mind before I went in to see this movie, and I I do remember loving it as a kid, but I also remember it being far goopier than it actually is. I mean, there's there's a couple really kind of snotty, gross moments in it, but for some reason, in my mind, a lot of the like the there's egg sacs that grow in the tree mm-hmm. and all the stuff. I remember for some reason it being just goopier than mm-hmm. it ended up being. Oh, yeah. He also says snot quite a bit in this movie, and I feel like he says snot more than you really see snot, if that makes sense. <laughs> yep. Like, the troll is covered in boogers. I and mean, of course <laughs> yes, it's boogers, because sure we is. all know how kids feel about boogers, and we all know mm-hmm. that kids love to laugh at boogers. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> kids are so gross. Um, but, like, you know, it is – they just keep saying snot. Mm-hmm. And I hate that word. I really hate it. <laughs> I – Ugh, I hate it. Yeah, yeah, it is uh, comparatively like goopier, less goopy than it could have been. Like all things considered, for the fact that he has two noses, 
The troll kind of has things <laughs> yes. under control. He really does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is your first watch, Mary Beth. I have to ask. Yes, this was my first watch. I had fun. It was. It's cute's not the right word. It's not cute, but. It's definitely a kids movie, mm-hmm. but it's fun. It, it, it's a kids movie, but it's definitely one of those kids movies that I was watching it. And I'm like, yeah, this would fuck up a lot of kids. Like, I am surprised that not as many people have brought it up because it's like the troll is creepy. Like, I would have been scared of that as a kid, but also the way the kids are transformed into wood and like mm-hmm. taken away. And there's like the stakes are a little bit higher. But the other yeah. thing that I there was two. There's two things. One, Eartha Kid is in this movie, which is incredible. And she kind of looks like Doc Brown. Yes. Better. <laughs> like she's she a wit- does. She looks like Doc Brown. She has huge, huge gray hair. And she's the witch of the town and lives on like the, ab- the property outside of town that looks like it's covered in trash. But it's actually art. And her and Ernest have a very silly, cute little confrontation in scare quotes where – where he says, I'm just here to throw, like, to take out the garbage. And she goes, got no garbage here, only representations of the soul. <laughs> like, she is just, she is that character I feel like they wrote for the adults to really, because, like, one, kids aren't going to know who Eartha Kitt is. So I uh-huh. feel like having Eartha Kitt in this movie is like a, hey, here's that, like, a recognizable figure for the adults. And also, she's kind of the funny adult line person in the movie to me as well. It's kind of how I saw her. Girl, she has great lines. She does. Oh, she calls him the Great Redneck Hope, too, because he's the one that she reveals, like, the whole curse that he has. Like, he is the, um, how do I describe this? He is the <laughs> relative, like, descendant of a whorl who in- entombed the troll centuries ago. Um, and she says to him, you are the seventh son of the seventh son. You are the, se- you are the baby. You are the boy. It is your legacy. You are the Great Redneck Hope. And then, like, he steps back into a light and goes, I am the great redneck hope. And I was like, this movie is ridiculous. Like, this is amazing. So, yes, I wanted yeah. to mention Eartha Kitt because she's incredible in this movie. <laughs> I love that there's, like, earnest family backstory here. So I, that, you know, you have the canon now so that no matter what movie you're watching be it whether he's saving christmas or getting incarcerated you know no matter what movie it is you will always have that foundation that ernest is an (laughs) idiot because his great great grandfather buried a troll so okay where is this in the chronology of ernest movies do you know anyone know off the top of their head like are there movies after this one basically yes okay there are movies after this one so that means that this entire town in can- in canon has also been traumatized by trolls that have popped out of the ground. Is that ever <laughs> brought up again in any of these movies? Like, does anyone, you know, try to reconcile, like, the humongous trauma, collective trauma they have all gone through? I don't know if there is, like, an <laughs> earnest cinematic universe. <laughs> I would like to think there is because what maybe was making me laugh, not laugh, but watching this was like, this is like, this is an entire town that is just going to have to live with this. And like, what is that like to be in a town that goes through this and is like, well, uh, I guess we just have to like, either never talk about this again, or somehow reckon with our ridiculous traumatic past of our town. Like, that's incredible. What the heck? Well, and and I and I kind of think that there probably isn't a cinematic universe because, like, like, like I said, in in the movie that preceded this, Ernest goes to jail. He gets sent to the electric chair for a crime he didn't commit, 
and then ends up gaining superhuman abilities to shoot lightning bolts and fly. Yes. And it becomes like a superhero movie from what I remember at the very this end of this. This better than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that was the movie before this one. So by this time, he is shucked off all of his powers and he's just a, okay. a, a normal p- person again. So I'm, okay. I don't think they probably had the foresight to like, create normal person though is a stretch (laughs) because again we have like a whole elaborate and long final destination type set piece at the beginning of this movie introducing Ernest by running him through a trash compactor (laughs) basically to announce that there are no stakes because you have literally killed Ernest at the start of the film so that the troll could obviously do nothing to him. So you're never going to worry about Ernest's safety from this point on. Eartha Kit literally sets him on fire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I was thinking, because Mary Beth and I were kind of talking through text before this, and I was honestly, I I, I consider him more like a Bugs Bunny, like a live action Bugs Bunny. Like Mm -hmm. things will happen to him. You know, he's in danger. He gets hurt. He gets burnt. He gets trash compacted. He has the the trash can slammed down on his fingers that would have probably decap or like uh, cut off his fingers. I mean, he's been electric. He's went to electric chair. Like he just, he seems like he's a cartoon character brought to life Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, very much so. He definitely is. And this Varney, Jim Varney, right? Mm -hmm. He's got a rubber face. Yeah, he sure does. He is. He. I mean, he's great for this. But he is incredible, I will say. And especially when it's all of a sudden Ernest is changing personalities. <laughs> okay. Like, that talk happens about tw- this. twice, I think, right? Yes. Twice? Okay. Yeah, once for no yeah. reason, and then once when they all uh, step in to fight the trolls at the end. And And then, does this happen in all the other movies? What I remember is that they were actual disguises in the other movies that he would slip into. Mm -hmm. Like, he was a master of disguise, and he would just play these different (laughs) characters, and people would actually see them. And so I was trying to reconcile that with this movie, because I'm pretty sure they were just figments of his imagination. Because at one point... Kenny makes that comment about how he's up here fighting them with uh, with his multiple personalities. With the multiple like personality brigade, yeah. It's just like he's had the disguises in so many other movies that maybe now like he's he's lost the root of who the true Ernest <laughs> is. And they're all just just wow. jumbled together. He's like, which which one of these is me? So which one Ernest- of these is Ernest? <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid is also Ernest Scared into an Identity Crisis. <laughs> yes. Incredible. Okay, because like, you know, he is seen as like a woman with like a big beehive hair as like um oh, the woman with the neck them. brace is my favorite. Woman with the neck brace. There's like a lumberjack. There's a character that's an ottoman that I think he's like kind of in brown face for. Uh, yeah, that was that's uncomfortable. Right. Uh-huh. That's I I was like, is that brown face? No, that is 100% brown face. That was uncomfortable. Um, that was very uncomfortable. I was like, did that really just happen? Um, there's uh, like a Greek, like a kind of like a Greek emperor. There's a bunch <laughs> of, there's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. Am I miss- and- the lumberjack is my favorite who says, you know, no, there are no twe- trees in Botswana. I am a Botswanian lumberjack and I have never had a job. <laughs> And I was like, wait, hold on. I have to rewind. Did he really just say that? There are a lot of those moments where it's like quick fire jokes that like 
if you're not paying attention, are just going to like fly over your head. Mm-hmm. It's very, very fast. And it reminds me of like it's pacing for kids. You know what I mean? Like it's like a million jokes at once to see what sticks. And like mm-hmm. ooh, and that's how I kind of felt. It was just like he was almost mumbling the whole time where I was like, what is he like? What are you saying? What is the joke? And sometimes the joke would land and other times I'd be like, I didn't have time to process anything that you just said. So he has like, according to Wikipedia, he has a family of 15 people that he is portrayed either in movies or in his stand up routine, including stand up. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, including one that I am just now learning about whose name was Dingus Worrell and it was a potato. Who Ernest said come, came over during the potato famine and went on to become a yam magnet. <laughs> so, it's an actual potato? I guess. I, I, I need to do some digging into this because I just literally saw that on this on this page. But yeah, he, he plays all these different characters. And in this one, I, I like this idea that, that he just is having an identity crisis for sure. Because um, I was really confused because I literally remember him. Taking donning all these different you know disguises to get out of things and Mm -hmm. in here i thought that's what he was doing at first he was playing an elaborate like storytelling scheme and i was thinking of how long that would take for him to keep switching characters and putting on all these different (laughs) costumes but then i realized no that's that's all that's all in his in his head Mm -hmm. and that's that's wild it kind of takes a dark turn for a yeah, I've always company. wondered what that looks like. What that looked like to Kenny. What was Kenny saying? Right? That that was my thing. I was like, you're telling this kid a story, but you're not obviously <laughs> not in costume. So like, what is this kid experiencing, and what does this kid actually think of you? Like, did any of you ever have like a weird neighbor or like a weird neighborhood dude that like you kind of all tolerated but thought he was a little weird? Did oh, any yeah. of you guys have that experience? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially living in Alaska. Absolutely. Ah, oh. There was a lot of weird people in Alaska. Neighbors are biz- – especially like, – it's always – I've always had such weird neighbors. I was just thinking yeah, – there's – I remember – he. it wasn't a man, but I remember this woman that lived up the street and she would walk around – with her um, giant snake. Like, to me, it was like an anaconda. I don't know how big the snake actually was. But she would be walking around in her yard with the snake dangling around her neck. And that's <laughs> was like three houses down from us. Like, that's what I kind of remember. So, okay, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, we're having a, a real breakthrough here because I have never made this connection before this moment. But my <gasps> dad was really great friends. And he was like... He was over all the time. He was like almost. He was he was wonderful. But my dad was great friends with the kind of disgraced town drunk. He was a former oh. police officer who got like way drunk on the job. So then you know he oh. lost his mm-hmm. job. He lost his license. He literally never drove again. So he would just walk around town and like walk up the hill and come hang out at our house. But he was literally a tall, lanky guy, often in a gray shirt with a blue vest. No way. Oh, wow. Shut the fuck up. That's not real. <laughs> and I have never made that connection until this moment. Wow. 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 You have. Well, I would say <laughs> yeah. you wrote Ernest. He, he sounds like he was probably a little less, um, a little less like Ernest. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. Like, less ridiculous. But you had your own Ernest. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Did you have any weird well, neighbors, uh, Mary Beth? Oh, Jesus Christ. I had so many weird neighbors because my stepdad, lo- like, my stepdad is such a friendly person that he will make friends with anybody. And mm. the problem is, he's so friendly that people take that as an invitation as, like, oh, we're best friends now. <laughs> right. So we had two neighbors growing up, and they both were obsessed with my stepdad. And my stepdad was like, oh, we'd always mow their lawn for them. And like, he was so nice. But one in particular, this guy had had pet birds. 
I think I've told this story before, but he would rescue old macaws, like macaws whose owners had passed away and the macaws were old and had outlived their owners. Uh-huh. So he would rescue these these birds specifically. And, you know, he would walk like similar to the woman with the snake around her neck. He'd walk around with them and everyone like, oh, yeah, that's Joe. And then one day one of them flew into the ceiling and broke their neck. And he thought no. that the the best idea would be to bring it over to our house, <sighs> tell uh, ask us how to handle it. Oh, uh, like brought the birds over, like brought the dead bird over. Oh, to our house, like knocked on the door. And my mom was like, "I what?" And he like handed the bird to my mom and was sobbing at our house. And like that story really encapsulates what he was like. Wow. And wow. multiple times we had to help him bury his animals. Oh dear. <laughs> he had a lot of animals. He was a very he was a very sweet person. Like he always got me Christmas presents and like he was so nice, but he was also so weird. So, you know, well-meaning dude, but he definitely made still made me uncomfortable. Like, oh, can I tell you a creepy story? I just had it just came back to me. Please. I used to want to like lay out in my backyard and get tan even though I don't tan. And he would watch me tan. And then bought me a chair so I could sit in the grass and not have to lay on a towel, which, like, is nice in theory, but creepy that he was watching me and, like, would yeah. come outside every time I was laying out and then bought me a special chair for it. Wow. That's weirdo. Anyway, that sorry, weirdo. that memory just came flaming, it came, like, <laughs> running back at me. Like, remember this weird dude that used to watch you lay out in your backyard? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow anyway <laughs> that's my story <laughs> that's a wild one though that's the story <laughs> you know this movie also made me nostalgic though because i yeah when they go run to get weapons to fight the trolls they go and grab a super soaker mm-hmm. super soaker I had that exact one, too. Me, too. Me, too. And, you know, let me tell you, living in Alaska, super soakers were expensive. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I I don't know how – I have no – you know, when you live in Alaska, the idea of, like, how much things are worth is really weird. And I remember spending $60 for a super soaker. They and were it pretty seems expensive. Like, I don't know how much exorbitant. they were back then, but they definitely – you probably – it makes sense they were more in Alaska due to, like, everything else. But they were Importing definitely still pricey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I had that exact model. I loved it. Did you fill it with milk? You know, <laughs> I wanted to really bad. <laughs> I never did, though. And the, this movie also made me really nostalgic for treehouses. Like, I really wanted a treehouse. And they make it sound seem so effortless to, like, create a treehouse in a day on that big oh. gnarly tree. I you, I fucking wish it was that easy because I had a treehouse growing up, but like oh, it was you? a tree fort. It wasn't really built into a tree. It was like a little house on like a raised platform. My stepdad built it because my stepdad is like he can do anything, but we didn't have enough trees to put it in or like a tree that would support it, which bummed me the fuck out. I was like, I wanted it in a tree, but no, it turns out it's harder than you think to put a tree house in an actual tree. <laughs> yeah, that's a very similar thing. Did you Did, have it? Was it was it in an actual tree or was it also on like a platform? It was kind rather? of raised. What it was was it was kind of built like it was raised a little off the ground. It wasn't like in a tree, which I had thought it was going to be this thing in a tree, but it was kind of uh, using four trees as like the base that this platform was built oh, around. Oh, cool! Uh, and then it was like this big fort, and like it had a drawbridge. 
It was Whoa. built by like an old an old boyfriend of my mom's who who really thought he was going to be my stepdad is basically oh, it. No. Uh, yeah. So he he really went all out on that wow. thing for that reason. Like a hammock in it. And, uh, yeah, and I felt like so bad. It's like it looked so cool. And then my friend and I tried to sleep in it once, and we were like, "This is miserable." Let's go back in the house. <laughs> okay. I had the same experience. I was like, oh, cool. We'll sleep. Like, mine was not as cool as yours. Mine was small and had, like, a little front porch, but, like, it was very small. But we put, like, cool chairs in it, and I thought it was so badass. It was hot. It's, like, not comfortable at all to sleep in like in that, in the treehouse. I thought it would be, like, so <laughs> rad and cool. And then I'm like, wait, you can't get electricity out here. <laughs> like, I have to go inside to pee. It's hard to There's get bugs. snacks. Uh-huh. There's bugs. It's hot. Yes, I I feel that. But my another funny story about my treehouse was as we got older, we still had it in the backyard. People I went to high school with apparently would sneak into it in the middle of the night and smoke weed in our treehouse. Oh, I know. My friend told me that like not that long ago. She's like, wait. You have that treehouse. I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, I used to sneak into it and smoke it because our, our backyard like bordered up against the um the main shopping center where like the grocery store was. And, like I was like in a small town. So like the shopping center was like the only place to hang out. Mm. And then if you wanted to smoke weed, you'd go up the hill and like break into people's backyard. So they would climb into our treehouse and smoke weed. Wow. I went I lived in a weird place, I guess. <laughs> But we okay, but also with super soakers, we had super soaker fights all the time in my backyard. That was like our favorite activity as kids was to like have water fights and my brothers collected water guns. And they got crazy. Super soakers got ridiculously they sure did. complicated. <sighs> Multiple water bottles on it, like different yeah. Sights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like ridiculous pumping power. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember having, like, an all-out super soaker, like, war on one of my birthdays because my cousin, who was kind of the mean girl even even in second grade, uh, <laughs> she really, really learned her, her thing early on, which I guess I give her credit for that. Like, you really knew you. <laughs> but uh, she, like, we just hated each other. And she was born the same week, so we mm. often had our birthday mm. parties on the same day. Right. And wow. we, she lived only, like, you know, right on the other side of, like, the woods behind my house, like, not far away. And we had relatives all around us, so she'd be walking over, and we started squirt gunning her birthday party and they started water ballooning <laughs> us yes. and then it escalated and escalated and it got you know it got over it went over the line but it was my mother that got it there <laughs> when we were, i will stand by that when we were you know throwing every super soaker we had at them and then it was my mother and not any of us boys that said get the hose that that is an escalation you know it's about to get fucking real when the parent Uh goes get the host because i have experienced that too oh my god (laughs) it's amazing get the host um okay bringing it back to the to the movie though i i do one of the things that i did appreciate um sort of as an adult more of like a i i don't know if this was intentional or not but 
again, this is another movie that kind of is about the outsiders because you have, you know, Eartha Kitt's character who, um, you know, she, she's one of the only, um, POC non-white people in the movie. Um, <laughs> and she's looked upon kind of in derision as this woman that's living out the side of the, the town. She's, kind of doing that junkyard art thing that we see again in like uh, the iron giant is sort of like, this is an outsider because they're, you know, doing something artistic with the people's junk. You, so you have her, you have Ernest who does a vital job for the town, but he's also looked down on. And then you have the kids that are also being picked on by the mayor's kids. So you have like all these people that are sort of like this sort of people that um, are the social outcasts of this, of this town all banding together because no one else will believe them. And I, 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 that's kind of a trope I know that we see in a lot of kids movies, but it's one that like, it's like, Oh, I can kind of see what they're kind of doing here. Uh Yeah. And the other thing I noticed too, is that like the kids are the, Ernest is the focus, but the kids are the one that like, Oh, milk, it's milk that will get them. Mm -hmm. And like, I know that's not like the end all, but it's a, it's a movie where even if the, even though there's like an adult quote unquote in the center of the movie the kids (laughs) are the smarter ones they're the ones that figure things out and that like has such a kids movie vibe but also something i thought about was like how fucked up is it in kids movies that like kids are the ones that always figure things out and like how it's just always so funny to me when it's like oh the adults who act like they know everything they're the ones that are absolutely like caught off guard and absolutely fucked up by all the trolls when they think they're going to fix it when they all drive out there with like they're not literal pitchfork and torch situation, but they're all driving in a line up to where mm-hmm. the tree is. It's the people but that the are supposed are to protect ones. the kids and they yep. can't. Mm-hmm. And then it puts, but then it, it also puts Ernest in this weird space too of like, Oh, he's the one that can save the kids, but he all, but like he, he can't at first, but then he can. So he puts him in this weird space between kid and adult. And then when he hugs the troll and has the whole like like heart of a child, unconditional love, pure of heart, and he's able to accomplish that and like defeat the troll. It's fascinating. But how does he? How does he defeat the troll, Mary Beth? Oh, he defeats the troll by giving it a big old hug and a big old smoocheroonie right on the mouth, <laughs> right on the uh, the snotty mouth, right on the and snotty we get, mouth. That we get his catchphrase. I have to say, I think Trantor is. I think they were giving him some drag queen realness in this. Um, <laughs> I, you know, drag queens love a reveal and he gets this glow up reveal at the very end that I just was living for as an adult with like the thunder and the lightning and the flames bursting out of the ground. And he has his face, you know, gets like, it's almost like he pulls off a wig and now he has even more yeah. like grotesqueries on him. And he's just like, he's owning himself and I love it. And he gives that line, not even milk can stop me now. And I'm just like, yes, queen. <laughs> Only love can melt her sad troll heart. <laughs> Literally. Speaking of, of changes in like appearance. One thing I picked up on, on this last rewatch that I thought mm-hmm. was pretty clever is that the, I actually have to give it credit for this is that the illustration of Trantor in the book is bald so he has all the scraggly beard and like disheveled hair because he's been Rip Van Winkling in the ground for a hundred years. And I I just oh. caught that and I like that approach. Oh I didn't even think about that. Huh. But I mean this is what you get when you hire the Chiodo brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Is it Kyoto? Ch- sure. Kyoto? How do you pronounce your last name? I say Ch- Chiodo because I know the band Chiodos. That's oh. my only point of reference. I think it's Chiodo. 
But I mean, they're turning in some really good work here. Uh-huh. Uh, I was really surprised at the very end of the movie because I was thinking, oh, this, this is really the, the puppet work actually holds up really well. And then they announce, you know, that, that they are the ones that did. And it's like, oh, well, I mean, it makes perfect sense because they just they always make really great puppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like Critters and was another introductory. Mm-hmm. Like it was a really early thing for me because those movies weren't rated R. So I was able to see them from a really mm-hmm. young age. And for some reason, I just thought those were cool. Like, those were actual little nightmare balls with teeth. And those didn't, at the exact same age, those didn't terrify me nearly as much <laughs> as this troll. Oh, we need huh. to get someone on the show to talk about the original Critters because I have a story about that movie. <laughs> we, but we haven't talked about the, the best character of this entire movie. Who's that? Rimshot. Oh, the puppy. <laughs> Rimshot. It's Jack Russell Terrier, or looks like one, and Jack Russell Terriers are a personal favorite in my home. Oh, there goes my cat. But also, he reminded me of Wishbone. Did any mm-hmm. either of you watch Wishbone yes. growing up? Yes. Yeah. And also, I just love me a good dog sidekick who is basically as smart as a person, but just can't talk. I got very Wallace and Gromit vibes, if you guys ever mm-hmm. watched Wallace mm-hmm. and Gromit, of like the very nice kind of like naive owner and the very smart dog. I got very much Wallace and Gromit vibes, and I love Rimshot, even though I kept thinking his name was Rimjob. <laughs> You're not the first. I am. I never. I definitely didn't think so. But I was like, I am definitely immature. Yeah. I cannot stop hearing that because it's the worst name for a dog. And that's what I have to say about that. One thing about this movie is like I've heard this a lot because uh, my thing in in college became really early on, like showing all these weirdo gonzo horror movies I grew up with or had discovered to all my friends who often had never seen any horror movies. But, like, I would sometimes go back to, like, these these kid ones because, like, there's something about this movie that even into college I kept showing people. So I heard in college a lot about the dog who they insisted <laughs> was named Rimjob. yeah. And uh, I remember, like, one night we finally got sick of all gathering in my dorm room to watch horror movies on my little TV. And we packed, like, my PS3 into somebody's backpack and we went down to the student lounge and commandeered the giant TV in the student lounge (laughs) for a double feature of Fright Night and Ernest Scared Stupid. Incredible. Wow. What a double feature. feature. And, like, I didn't realize that there was, like, a family thing going on with, like, kids running around and everything. So the mistake, (laughs) in retrospect, was that we did Ernest Scared Stupid second. Oh. (laughs) So that was, like, the late night movie. I love that that was the closer. (laughs) So this, this movie has been, like following you your entire life yeah i mean one because like you know i wasn't like i was like 19 or whatever still terrified of it but i was like right this is just so halloweeny and buffoonish that i still think all my friends would get a kick out of it but uh as a kid it was a different story uh, there was there was nothing funny about this movie it, well you know it's also celebrating its 30th anniversary this october which is the other reason why uh, we needed to get you on to do, to do this. We wanted to talk your book, but it also it is celebrating its 
90th anniversary or 30th anniversary. 90th, 90th anniversary. <laughs> Ernest has been around for almost a whole century. Good lord. The other characters I really need to talk about are the um the uh the weird like hucksters of all this useless okay. crap. Tom and oh my Bobby. God, yes. Tom and Bobby who uh immediately were like, "Okay, what around our shop do we have right now that we could sell?" <laughs> To uh, a troll-loving poor sap like Ernest, uh, they end up taking him for seventeen hundred dollars. Yes, he didn't even bat an eye. He just like seventeen hundred dollars. I was like, where did Ernest get all that money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also like resulted in like for whatever reason we have those weirdo lines that just stick out to us, especially in the most random movies. And for once. For one re- reason or another, like for whatever reason, the line has never left my memories when he's talking to them on the radio and he just refers to it as the country western troll you're so fond of. <laughs> and I love that, that when, they, when he buys it, it comes with an album of troll love yes. songs. Oh like, my god, I... <laughs> What about that album of every troll love song ever written? Mm-hmm. What? I Which I believe know what's on that because that can't be very many songs. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Well, wow. all right, Terry. How many ooze <laughs> out of five do you give Ernest Scared Stupid? I mean, that's kind of a hard question for me to answer. I because I. I didn't really enjoy it as much as I expect to on this rewatch. Uh, I, it definitely, it, Mary Beth, you said that it's definitely for kids and I definitely think it is for kids. And I remember, I remember loving this movie when I saw it in the movie theater. Um, I have some fond memories of it. Uh, I, I think some of it, I think the effects have aged pretty well considering um, yeah. the fact that this was like a, a kid's movie. Uh, I just, I don't know. It for me, it's not. It didn't do it as much as I wanted it to. I there, I kind of saw some of the the seams this time. Although, I will say Jim Varney gives it his all. I I think he really goes for broke in every single movie that he does, and I think that's that's pretty amazing and out and outstanding that he is attacking this with so much gusto that of a of a role that he probably could phone in. Um, and Eartha Kitt is love. I love her. <laughs> I thought. I I wanted the whole movie to be about her. I thought some of her right. lines were just absolutely hysterical. Um, so I, you know, I I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna give it three out of five, mostly because of Eartha Kitt, because she just I love her. Uh, what about you, Mary Beth? Um, ugh, so I'm gonna have to give this two and a half. Ooze. I think I just don't have the nostalgic context yeah. for it. I appreciate it 100% for what it is. I can see why it's considered so scary. People saw it back then, and the puppet work is incredible. I mean, you don't have to go that hard on a kid's movie, but they did, and I love that. Mm-hmm. When this was an era where I think people really cared more about horror for children. If, um and like actually made it scary yeah so i really love that um you know i <laughs> i did again i didn't really have the context for Ernest, so i was like <laughs> you're a little bit annoying but i see why you're funny because you like you he's a character for kids and like they definitely hit the mark with him that way and i appreciate it 100 percent for that but yeah it's two and a half 
ewes for me. Um, Nat, you have the final word. How many uh, how many ewes do you give this out of five? It's tough because, <laughs> you know, as much as I don't like people saying to other people, like, oh, you only really like that because of the nostalgia mm-hmm. for it. Like, I get it. I am all about saying it to yourself. And I recognize how much of my joy comes from the nostalgia, as terrifying as that nostalgia <laughs> may have been. But uh, I still, I still love it, scenes mm-hmm. and all, because it has it has no internal logic from one moment to the next. Like the movie <laughs> could very easily just be Ernest's like rambling excuse to why he's late to work the day after Halloween. It was just like, oh, well, there's yeah. this troll, and it was afraid of Miak. No, it was afraid of milk. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's still, you know, it is what it is. And, like, like, I love it, but could I give it four? I, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. So I think Ernest does give me a few too many felonies. <laughs> I think it's a solid <laughs> three. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, Nat, for joining us to talk about Ernest Scared Stupid. Where can listeners find you, and what do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Well, thanks so much for having me, first of all. Uh, everybody can find me at Nat Bremer on Twitter, and I have uh, Puppet Master Complete, a franchise history coming up, obviously, as well as uh, later this month... Uh, there is a um, issue of TV Guides Remind magazine that is all about the Halloween franchise, and I have an article uh, in that Ooh. as well. Awesome! So that'll be on like newsstands and everything uh, later oh, yeah. later this month. Cool! That's so cool! Like, that's yeah, awesome. that's really neat. And they, people can pre-order um, your your book everywhere. I saw it on Amazon. So is it? Yes. <laughs> Weird, because that's like how I found out like the release date and everything. Oh. So I just saw the Amazon <laughs> listing. Pay, but, uh, it's it's true. But yeah, they can pre-order uh, through the publisher, through McFarland, uh, okay. through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I okay. saw it on um, on a textbook site uh, the other day. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's uh, really the pre-order is, seems to be just about everywhere. Hopefully you can cool. you can pre-order it, and we'll put up a link to the McFarland in, in our in our show notes for everyone. So listeners, go check there. Um, so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Ernest Scared Stupid? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail dot com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at mb mcandrews, and I'm McGaley Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. Please take a moment to give us a review, a rating, and please subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most important. Stay creepy. And until next time. we
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.